0: We're continuing our dive into the 10 words, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We're looking at verse 14 today here in God's Word. Just as the previous command was only two words in the Hebrew, so is this one. As the previous command was about more than just the physical act and avoiding taking to someone's life, so too. This command is about more than that. And this command actually is, a, is something that if we will understand it, if we will give our hearts and minds to so what God wants when he says no adultery, we will understand something of God's heart. It is something And in other words, every one of us can apply, whether we are married or single, widowed or divorced, man or woman, boy or girl. This is God's word and it speaks about marriage from the one who created marriage and from the one who calls us all to faithfulness in all of our relationships. So let's see what that means, what it looks like here. In God's Word, we're going to read kind of an abbreviated version of all Ten Commandments. But we will focus today on verse 14. Exodus chapter 20. This is God's Word. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of of Egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me you shall, make, shall not make for yourself an idol verse 7 you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain remember the sabbath day to keep it holy verse 12 honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. And our verse today, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse 17, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is God's word. Father, thank You that You have spoken, that You have revealed Yourself through Your Word. Lord, let it today be more than just sound waves hitting our eardrums. Let it be more than ink on a page or pixels on a screen. Let it be the very living and active Word of God, changing and transforming us into the image of Jesus. And we pray you would meet us here. And we have confidence you'll do that because we come not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as, I, as we look at this command, that it is just two words in the Hebrew. Like, do not murder, last week. Do not commit adultery. Just two words. And so to understand what it means, we will have to do some more Bible exploring like we did uh, last week. And it's not not a, a hard to understand concept that we're talking about as we speak of what it means to not commit adultery. And typically what we talk about in those terms is infidelity or unfaithfulness. And so I actually titled the sermon, High Fidelity, which if you're old enough to remember, is a reference to, uh, you know, the things that we used to have that would be in our living room probably or in the den, right? Where it was paneled wood walls or something, right? I'm talking 70s, nice shag carpet, right? And we would have this big electronic device with these big wooden cabinets and it was called a high five. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know what I'm talking about. High fidelity. And what it, what it, why it was called that is because the, the idea was you wanted a device that would reproduce the sound faithfully to what it was when your favorite musicians recorded it. And it would be high fidelity, high faithfulness, uh, true. reality reproducing what it was supposed to be and and that idea of faithfulness of, of, of representing what what is true and right that's that's the essence as we come to this command about not committing adultery it is a call to faithfulness because human beings are designed for personal connection. So marriage is the most profound relationship among us and it's, it's this window as we dig into marriage, whether we ever get married or not, okay? Whether you're a child or an adult, you can understand this concept and from understanding what God is talking about here, you can gain a window into the heart of the Lord who created marriage. And who calls each of us to faithfulness in all relationships. And that's what we want to unpack today. This, this idea that faithfulness matters. And we want to see that, first of all, in this respect to adultery and the command here. And the, it, it has to do with uh, adultery is marital unfaithfulness. Rather than high fidelity, it is infidelity, not faithful to reality. Uh, am simple to understand in some ways, and uh, I will talk somewhat in code about some things, uh, grown-ups, if you know what I mean, uh, and feel free to unpack that with your children as you see fit. I will do the best I can to speak that way so that we can all benefit from and respect our differences in age and maturity. So adultery is is marital unfaithfulness. It's the physical act of marriage with someone other than the spouse. In our house we say, you know, they're they're pretending to be married. That's the way we put that code there when our children ask, "What does this word mean?" Or that word, "What is adultery?" Well, that's what it means. It's it's when someone is pretending to be married and acting like they're married when one of them is, at least one of them is, but not the person they're pretending with. Okay, So adultery is, is specifically marital infidelity. It is those relations where at least one of the people involved is married to someone else. Leviticus 20.10 makes it real clear. If there's a, a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. It's a significant offense. In the Old Testament, both people involved in the situation are called adulterers or adulteress, and they are both subject to the civil law's punishment of death for committing adultery there's several other passages you can look them up that echo that sense that this is significant in fact it is a great sin in the ancient world and and in the eyes of the lord it's interesting that as, if you look at the language of the bible in speaking of adultery in genesis 20 verse 9 exodus 32 21 30 to 31 2 king 17 The language there actually says, you know, this great sin. What have you done that you have, you know, put me in a place of this great sin? One of the kings says to Abraham because he had deceived this king. You know, in the broader culture of that day, adultery was a great sin. As a crime in Israel, God said it should be punished by death. It's that serious, it's that much of a great sin, both in the ancient world and the eyes of the Lord. Proverbs again and again kind of speaks to this throughout the Proverbs as well as the rest of the Scripture about the foolishness, about the danger, about the destruction that comes from unfaithfulness in marital relations. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man take fire In his bosom or close to his chest, can a man take fire and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. It continues, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself, does it? Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give many gifts." There is something intrinsic to our human nature that someone who has had a spouse commit adultery is deeply and profoundly wounded. It's, it's where we get the idea of a crime of passion. And I don't know if you know this or not, but actually it was the first successfully argued case of temporary insanity was when a man... By the name of Daniel Sickles, who was a congressman and a union general, killed a man by the name of Philip Barton Key, who happens to be, happened to be the son of Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. In 1859, Sickles shot and killed Key in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House because Key was having an affair with Sickles' wife. This is in the 1850s. He became the first person to use the temporary insanity defense by his lawyers. And they said that he was driven insane in the case by his wife's unfaithfulness. And he was later acquitted of the crime of passion. There's something so deep and profound in our nature that throughout the world, people know this is wrong. To take another person's spouse and pretend to be married to them. That's throughout history. This command doesn't explicitly condemn other forms of sexual immorality. Premarital, cohabitation, other various forms. But if you look through the Scriptures, you can see that they trace their roots to this command. And Jesus, we will see in a moment, in the New Testament speaks of how it's much more profound than the physical act. But it does lead to this question, what, why, does, why does adultery matter so much? Why is there such a reaction? What's, what's going on there? And so the, the thing you need to realize is our second main point is that not only, not only is adultery marital unfaithfulness, but marriage itself is built on intimacy. It's two becoming one. This is what makes adultery so serious. It's two becoming one. Uh, We are designed for personal connection. We are designed for deep personal connection. And marriage marriage is the most profound personal relationship you can have on earth. It is that deep. It is two becoming one. God said in Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That idea of a one-flesh union appears multiple times, including on the lips of Jesus, including in the Gospels, including on Paul's letters, a couple of different places, that God intended for marriage to be this one-flesh union. Two people, man and woman, coming together to be one. To become one. Bring someone else into that relationship, then just rips that apart. There, the 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 sense of uh, joining, leaving father and mother, and being joined is a sense of clinging. I, I, I when I sometimes in marriage messages when we're talking about marriage, I will speak about it as superglue. There is something about that connection between a man and a woman who have committed to each other, forsaking all others, that, that, and. Intent is that you would be super glued together. That you are clinging together, never to be separated. That's God's desire in this plan. And it's a fallen world, right? So things happen that put a wedge in there that drive apart, and and adultery is is one of those things that just comes in and just you you can't separate things that are super glued without things breaking. You know, that bond is so strong that something else is going to rip apart if you try to break it because it's not just this physical thing going on it is that and it's much more you know two becoming one is 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 getting close to each other intimacy that's that's the idea of intimacy is that you're close and getting close is important and it's good god designed us to get close and the closest we can get is as a man and a woman joined together in marriage that's really close. And God has affirmed multiple places that that physical union, as well as all the emotional and spiritual and every other connection involved, is really good. That male and female image of God, Genesis 1.27, speaks of us fitting together perfectly by design. And when God made the woman in Genesis chapter 2, we read that Adam rejoiced. This is that last you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He had looked at all the animals that God brought before him. And he said, no, that's just, they're not doing it for me. There's, there's nothing that, that's resonating with me. And then God put him to sleep and he took his rib and he made a woman from that. And he said, yes, this, this is the one. He just saw her and, and he knew. He could see the design. And they were naked and unashamed at that point. He didn't need anyone to tell him that they fit together code you with me naked and unashamed they fit together you could see it Adam could see it and he rejoiced and could just this is this is this one was made for me you know the only thing that God said was not good In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Was that moment before He had created the woman and when He had created the man, He said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for her. After saying, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, seven times in Genesis 1. You see that in Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. See, together... A man and a woman are the image of God together. A man and a woman experience a profound connection, a deep connection that, that includes physical closeness, which is important because that's how God intended to accomplish his purpose for humanity. One of them, which is what? To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? That's God's design for humanity. If if you're thinking about getting married, if you are married, you, you need to think about that. What is, what is God's intent for me in childbearing? The world would say to you, just pick however many you want. We've got technology and stuff. You can just have children, not have children. It's up to you. I, I'm not going to tell you how many children to have. I am going to tell you you should think about it. You should pray about it. You should be agreed about it. And I'll be happy to talk to, with you about it. Search the scriptures. Pray. Talk to other people. But You know, God's plan for a man and woman to coming together includes a physical intimacy that brings about children. You at least need to be open to that and explore the possibilities. And there's it's a fallen world, there's brokenness, all those kind of things. I, I'm not trying to bind your conscience. I'm asking you before the Lord to consider intentionally. Think it through, pray it through. It's important, but listen, here's the thing With that closeness is not only important, it's it's also good. Don't hear me saying that the only reason God has us come together closely, physically, is to bring about children. That, I believe, is a deficient viewpoint of some churches, and even some Christian churches, that that we miss. In fact, for the early couple hundred years of church history, you get the sense where the church fathers, so to speak, I'm talking about even Augustine, that they felt like it would be better, you know, if God would have just brought about children some other way than ooh, the way that He brings about children. Code, you with me? You guys with me? Come together. Okay. That physical coming together is good. Throughout Scripture, even after the fall, that coming together of a man and a woman in marriage is good. Read the Song of Solomon. Think about what it's saying. Uh, Get a good commentary that will help you see the illusions and the metaphors that are working there. There are things in there like Song of Solomon, verse 1. Uh, verse 2, chapter 1. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than wine. So, Song of Solomon 1 4. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. How beautiful are you, my darling? How beautiful you are? Your eyes are like doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. So pleasant indeed. Our couch is luxuriant. There's more. If you understand it, you will blush. (laughs) God made man and woman coming together in intimacy and physically a beautiful, good, and important thing. In the context of marriage. And what happens is, because we're in a fallen world, getting close is challenging. Getting intimate is challenging. It, it's, it's hard. Intimacy is... It's something that deep down we, we struggle with and if you don't believe me, just, just think about the fears that come into play as you get to know someone that you are interested in, growing in a deeper relationship with them. You know how hard it is to just ask someone out, right? This awkward thing like, you know, it's just, it used to keep me awake. You know, I just, like, I don't know, so like me. And then when you get to the point in relationship where maybe you've been seeing each other a while and you have this depth of relationship, you've been super intentional, but still one of you has to say, I love you first, right? And, and you're, you're kind of always wondering, what's, you know, are they going to just laugh? You know, am I totally misreading this? There's all this tension involved in that. Because what are you doing? You're, you're exposing yourself. You're being vulnerable. You're opening up your heart to someone. And that's super challenging in a fallen world. Because you don't know what other people are going to do with your heart if you put it out there. You might get the Han Solo response, right? You remember that scene in Star Wars? Leia's like, Han, I love you! As he's going into that, that freezing chamber thing, I think is when it was. And he goes, I know. And it's like... And then he gets frozen. His last words to her, she's like, "I love you," and he's like, "I know." And <laughs> does he feel that moment? Like, uh, does he love me? I, I don't. You know, I that. Like that's, that's 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 the fallen world, right? It's challenging. We say stupid stuff. We do stupid things. We 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 know that happens, so we're we're hesitant. We have this fear of rejection. Deep underneath that too, I think, is a sense of you know, I, I'm really not worth being loved. No one should love me. Am I just a fool to think this person maybe does? What hope do I have? You know, that's that's that vulnerability that in a fallen world that that's that's there's this riskiness, there's this tension. And that's part of why we have a rampant pornography industry. Because we know we're made for connection and we want a deep, physical connection. But man, there's all that emotional stuff, and particularly men, but it's not, women aren't immune to that, that we'll try to short circuit it all and go around the emotional stuff to just find the physical pleasure And it's in part due to just that brokenness, that riskiness, the fear of rejection, all of that stuff that it just seems easier to turn to fantasy. On top of that, you know, if you do get into a relationship, the, the commitment, maybe you feel restricted by that, on top of that, you know, you, you mess up and you know you're gonna disappoint the other person, you'll hurt their feelings and then you'll have to deal with their emotions and not deal with yours, and you know, all that kind of stuff is, is wrapped up in what it means to be married. To have a deep, personal, profound connection with another human being in that type of relationship, of, of, of intimacy, of closeness. This all boils down to the reality that, that marriage, and in fact, any relationship, but especially the marriage relationship, has to have this. This, these, these twin realities of a commitment and trust. You know, commitment is kind of you moving toward the other person saying, I don't care what you do, I don't care what happens, I'm sticking with you. I am for you. We will work it out. We will get through this. I am committed. I'm not going to go anywhere. Right? That, that gives the other person this freedom to expose their hearts, to say stupid things, to reveal what's going on inside of them, to know they're not going to be rejected. That no matter what comes out of there, you're with them. And you know what happens is that on the other side, as you engage in commitment, the other person then is trusting. And it's a dance. It's a, it's a, it's a rhythm. It's a, a cycle. That you're you're both doing both of those things. You're committed and growing in trust. They're trusting and growing in commitment, right? And this is one of those places where whatever you understand the Bible to mean by male headship and leadership, this is a place where every guy can lead. And I believe that's God's calling in particular for us men. To exercise that commitment. That your wife knows you're never going to leave her. You're going to do your best to provide for her, and no matter how she reacts to life and circumstances, you're with her and for her. It's a little bit of what the scriptures mean when it says that Jesus, you know, you love your wife like Jesus loved the church, which gets at this place in understanding relationships and our relationship with the Lord. But the picture that marriage provides that every one of us can learn from whether we are married or not is just this. That every one of us who put our faith in Jesus are together a part of what is His bride. In in other words, that Jesus would be our husband. And a part of understanding what He has said to you. And to me... And to every one of us who put our faith in Him, is to say, look, I know what you have done. Jesus says that. He says, I'm committed to you. Though you are unfaithful even, I will never be unfaithful. Jesus said it this way, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's part of why I think it really bothers the Lord when we act prideful and pretentious and like we have it together. When we are not honest with Him. And we try to hide our sins and try to pretend we're something we're not. God's saying, look, I already told you. I'm with you. I am for you. Please be honest and own your junk. Because I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. And we you grow in understanding what that means and trusting Him. Right? There, there's there's this, this level of affection. If you understand what that means, That God is still going to love you. Even when you mess up. Even when you turn from His way. He's still going to love you. That can fuel your repentance. No matter what you've done, you can say, you know what, God is still going to love me if I turn back to Him now. He's still going to love me. And He wants what's best for me. And He'll meet me there as we turn from those sins. And he's, that's what He most desires, right? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then He says, These things about what I call, I think I picked this up from somebody else, radical amputation. Where he says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it away from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. This is is what he's talking about. This is, he's saying, look, don't pretend that you have not committed adultery just because you haven't done the physical act of adultery. If you have looked lustfully at another person, you've committed adultery against whom? Against God! Who has said, be faithful to me, put nothing else above me, put me first, God says. And trust that my ways are right. And so as you, as you, as you look around, that's what he's saying. Look, if there are things that cause you to stumble, consider cutting them out of your life. You know, if you can't help watching those things on the internet or those videos on Amazon Prime or whatever it is, consider cutting it off. Consider one of those. Uh, Services, like I talked about last week, I put in the newsletter this week, get yourself a filter. Ask someone else to have the password. Put yourself under accountability of someone else. The, you know, some of those tools will, will report to other people when they see something that's flagged. Right? That's, that's the kind of thing. So you know what? What's more important to me? Being faithful to Jesus or keeping my pride? What's more important to me being holy and following after Jesus or having to admit to somebody that I struggle Jesus is calling us to this place and he says, you know what? I have such plans for you. He says, I have I have paid the price. Cuz here's here's the thing and in, in a in a fallen world, getting close is challenging. We know that in a human perspective, but have you ever thought about it's costly from God's perspective? The whole reason for the cross, the reason for the incarnation, the reason for all of that was so that God could get close to us. Unfaithful spouses, every one of us, unfaithful and adulterous, going after foreign gods, breaking our vows to the creator and redeemer of all every one of us and yet god enters in and he says you know what i know what you have done but i will come down and i will provide for that i will not only still love you but i will take the cost due to you i will take your punishment upon myself i will take all of your guilt all of your shame i will take all of that and nail it to the cross i will bear the weight of the very wrath of god that would separate you from the most deep relationship. You think marriage is good if you've experienced it in this world. You think it's good if you've just longed for it. I can tell you this in anticipation. Our relationship with the Lord for all of eternity is even better. What else could it mean than when Jesus says, in heaven and a new age, people are neither given in marriage. There's no marriage. And marriage is really good. It's really hard, but at its best, it's really good. And then he says, look, there's no marriage. I don't know exactly what all that means. But I know it must mean that our relationship to the Lord, which is pictured as a marriage, which will be consummated in the wedding feast with the Lamb, in Revelation speaks of it several times. And this thing that the the angels are shouting and and praising, this thing that we will have forever, is going to be so much better. I don't know exactly what that means. But man... The scriptures say it's going to be good. It's going to be really good to have this deep connection with our Creator, to have this abiding love from the eternal, holy, almighty One, to say, I've loved you. Does it not feel good to be loved? Even with that inkling, you know, that's what gives you the power to overcome that hesitation to finally say, I love you. And maybe you hear, you know, I know. But what powers that is this idea that I really want to be loved. Here's the thing that God is saying to you that He loves you profoundly, deeply. The scriptures testify to that. And part of what He's asking you. It is to say, you know what, I, I do trust you, Lord, and I will open myself up to you a little bit more. I will open myself up to your people a little bit more, wisely. I, I will open myself up, Lord, to my spouse. I, I will take a risk, oh Lord. You know, I will enter into relationships and acknowledge right away that I'm not going to be perfect. But Lord, I know that in you, What you ask me to is not perfection. You want me to pursue that? But ultimately, you know I need you, Lord. And so I'll enter into relationships repentantly. I'll enter in knowing I'm going to mess up. And brothers and sisters, as a diverse church as we are, we're going to mess up. We misread things, other people say. We misattribute motives and actions. We come from so many different cultures. That's going to happen. We just have different accents and we miss words. We're embarrassed to say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. Could you repeat that? Right? We, we do all kinds of things like that. The solution is not to draw back. The solution is not to separate into little isolated homogeneic groups. There's a place for that, sure. But there's a place for the beauty of what we will have in heaven. This, this diverse group of people singing the praises of God coming together forever. And no longer stepping on each other's toes. No toes, no, matter, no longer hurting each other's feelings. No matter misunderstandings. No matter needing to repent or exercise and offer forgiveness. But that day is not here yet. That day is coming and meanwhile what the Lord is calling us to. Is this idea that in every relationship. We will be repentant. And vulnerable. That we will open our hearts with wisdom, and offer our lives that we might grow deeper. Because that's exactly what the Lord has given to us in Jesus and how Jesus is going to work himself out in us. Because it's in those moments when we know we need Jesus is when we've messed up when we see our sin, and you know what? That's when we need to know what He says here. He's not going to leave. He's not going to forsake us. He is with us. He is our husband. He is the only one with high fidelity. And He dwells among us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and mercy that you do meet us. Wayward people, you call us when we are headed the other direction. You give us of your spirit, O oh Lord, and we still wander. We still try to head a different way. And you, you woo us back to yourself. You never stop pursuing us, Lord. I pray for those who are here today. They've been wandering for a while. They think maybe you're done with them. And they're, just, they're, they're, they're wondering, Lord, would you speak to their hearts? Let them hear that you said, I will never leave you. That you said, when you will trust me, it will go well with you. And that includes just being honest about our fears and insecurities. Oh Lord, I pray for those who have broken their marriage vows, that, that have committed adultery, whether it's physically or emotionally, or Lord, that they have pursued the wrong ends. They've avoided those hard conversations, Lord, for whatever reason. Would you draw near to them and say, You, you are forgiven? In Christ, but also help them, Lord, to work through that with their spouses. Lord, I pray that for all of our marriages, you would grow us in strength, that you would grow us in humility, you'd grow us in vulnerability, you'd grow us in ability to speak the truth to each other, being respectful and loving. Lord, would you help us to know when we need help? Would you meet us, O Lord, as we are single? I pray for those who are longing for this union. Lord, would you give them the the discipline and self-control, the love and trust in you to both pursue that plan and that desire and to lay it before you for your timing. And would you, O Lord, in it all, bring us together in this unity as together we are your bride. Would you give us a heart that longs for your return and that it experiences some of that joy and beauty right now as we see reconciliation happening in our midst, as we see reconciliation happening through our ministry, as we see reconciliation happening through the power of Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen.